0: The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We've been in a series for for a few weeks on the Holy Spirit. Um, And I was away on the first week uh, filling in for for Pastor Jimmy up the coast. And I would just encourage uh, those of you uh, in our church family to continue. Please pray for them. Jimmy's father passed uh, recently. And so uh, we're filling in for him just to give him another week off from having to preach um, and additionally, uh, the Silias, uh, Anna Silias, for those of you who don't know them, Jason and Anna are part of our church family. Uh, Anna's father passed away also this Wednesday, uh, unexpectedly. So it'd be great if we could just be praying for them throughout the week, lifting them up um, as these uh, wonderful people, part of our church family, continue to, to grieve um, and work through the process uh, of that. But we've been in this series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, Shane has led the, the last two weeks... Um, looking at the fact that the Holy Spirit ministers to us. The Holy Spirit is uh, the, the person of the Trinity um, that often is misunderstood. Some, some of us um, w- would say we, we are God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Bible people, uh, and we want to be a church that says, no, 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 if we're going to be Bible people, we want to be God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so we've been wanting to look at the Holy Spirit and, and see uh, what the Scriptures say. We are a Bible-based church, so we want to look at the Bible and look at what it says. Uh, we don't want to go off church tradition, although church tradition can be helpful and help help us understand things and see things. Uh, we want to wrestle with, with the book, and as a part of that, we want to avoid certain ditches. And so we've been... Uh, Saying that you know there's kind of like there's extremes on both sides, and we don't want to be a church that that lives on either of those. We want to keep wrestling with the Bible, which means that in a church our size, there's going to be different opinions based on how we read the text, based on how we wrestle with the scriptures. So because of that, if we're coming to it from the Bible, we want to give grace to one another as we seek to understand the personal work of the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to look at uh, this idea that the Holy Spirit regenerates. Anyone here ever had a a near-death experience? Um, There's a few people putting up their hands. Um, As a sort of late teenager, early 20s guy, uh, a good bunch of my friends um, were surfers, and so... Being a typical guy who wants to fit in, I started to learn how to surf. And so we used to drive down to, to Fingal, uh, where it's nice and quiet, and we'd learn how to surf down there. And I was very, very bad at it. Um, and I was really good at other sports. And so because I was sort of better than my mates at other sports than them and not very good at surfing, they, they kind of come up with a few things to have a bit of fun with me. So the first thing that we had, we kind of had this tradition that everyone had to buy a, $2, uh, a two-liter bottle of Coke, And you had to leave it in the front console of your car, uh, right in front of the window, so that at about midday, after the sun's been beaming on the the Coke all day, you had to scull the whole two hot litres of Coke. Um, So that was fun. Now, that part was doable for me. The part that was not was we also had this tradition that a couple times a year, someone would just make a call, and everybody had to ditch their surfboards and swim around a point. So you had to go from the very, very base of the point, swim all the way out and all the way around. And I was not good at it. And they loved that. So they would often swim ahead of me and just leave me for dead. Well, this one time we went down, uh, it had been cyclone season. And cyclones had been there and waves were very, very big. And so Nelson calls it. We're doing it. Like, okay, peer pressure, let's go. And I started swimming out and I started to realise I was going to die. And so as we're swimming, I'm literally realizing I, I cannot get around this point, and I'm in trouble. And I knew that there are two options. You either lay back, and you float, and you try to get taken out to sea somewhere. That's what they tell you to do. Who does that? Nobody does that. Oh, great, let's go where the sharks are. That sounds really great. Uh, the other option is start swimming with the waves and just crash into the rocks. So I yell out to my mates, I'm struggling, and then essentially we just start getting, and then we get smashed onto the rocks, we end up in the hospital, all of us getting stitches, and I literally that day, I thought I was going to die. I was sinking, and everything in my body was like lifeless, and we just, it was gut-wrenching. What we're talking about today is almost like exactly the opposite of that. It's the opposite. It's not that you have all of your life drained out of you. It's that the Holy Spirit puts new life into you and you come alive. You see things that you couldn't see before. You hear things in a different way. You feel things. You desire things that you've never wanted before. And this is what we call the work of the Holy Spirit regenerating His people. The Bible uses different language for this. There's being born again, as we just read from John 3. And we're going to work through that. There's born again, being made alive, Ephesians 2. There's 1 Corinthians 5 of being new creations. It's new life. It's renewal. It's new creation. It's new birth. These are all ways that the Bible calls and speaks about being regenerated. Now, there are different views on what it means to be born again. Uh, some of you, if you've been a Christian a while, you may have seen or heard of the Barna Group. They're uh, a research and statistical analysis group that do lots of religious research throughout the world. And in the late 90s, they, they did a, a study and a research experiment. And what came out of that was essentially that 50% of Christian marriages end in divorce. And so a lot of people started to take this data, take, take this analysis, start saying, see, the church is just like the culture. Just like the world. Just like the world is at 50% of divorce, so are we. And in this study, there was also racial injustice, greed, all sorts of things. And, and the analysis was, see, the church is no different to the world. So what happened was a bunch of other research groups like Lifeway Research, uh, even Harvard University said, hang on a second, what were the parameters that you used to describe a born-again Christian for someone to tick that box? And could we go back and and do some other research where we kind of give clarity around what we're talking about? And so what ends up happening is new research gets done, and listen to this. Results for marriages where the couple pray together regularly, read their Bible together regularly, and attend church regularly, the statistical likelihood of that marriage ending in divorce is one in 1,246 marriages. In other words, we've moved from 50% to 0.001% of Christian marriages. And what these guys were doing is they're not saying it's just a profession of faith. They're saying, listen, there needs to be something in the life of those people which seems to be genuine faith. So the Barna group had said these were born-again Christians, and they were like, well, maybe. What does it look like to be born again? There should be some sense of new fruit, new living. New desires. Titus 3, 4-7 puts it this way. It says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, who He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, if you've been here for the last few weeks, you would have heard uh, Shane kind of highlighting that that we serve and we worship a, a triune God, that there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and they're active in all of these different things. You see that right here. There's the Father who, in His goodness and loving kindness, there's our Savior, Jesus Christ, and there is the Holy Spirit. And so in salvation, what we see is that God the Father is electing, choosing, predestining. He, he's, the, he's the one who is saying, I, I, I'm choosing to save my people. Jesus is the one who comes and does the work on the cross so that we can be saved. He dies, He resurrects, and the Holy Spirit is applying that work that Jesus has done to our lives and is birthing us again to new life in Him. That's what we are talking about in terms of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we see this in the story of John 3. Now, hands up, who here can quote John 3.16? Okay, if you can't, hang on, guys, this is not acceptable. Okay, in your worship time, you can no hand, you can hand, you can hand. Okay, in, in John 3.16, can you quote at it time, it's either this or it's this. Okay, so let's go again. John 3.16, who can quote it off by heart? Okay, look at all you. For those of you who can't, not sure you're Christian. We'll deal with that another time. Okay. Even non-Christians know how to quote this. Um, most of us know John 3, 16, but what we don't know is John 1 to 15. And so it's really important that we look at this story between Jesus and Nicodemus. And in here, I think we're going to draw out some things. So it starts off with Nicodemus... Coming to Jesus. Verse 1 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now Nicodemus is very much like you and I. There's so much we can relate to him, so much we can relate to him and just our culture in general. First of all, he's a person who has built his identity on cultural values. Okay? He's a Jewish man. He's been obeying the law. He's been very, very upright. And he feels like he's in. He feels like he's made it because of how he's lived and what he has. He's wealthy. He's rich. He's prestigious. He's educated. So he's kind of got all the cultural values and he's built his identity on it. We see that because he's this, this Pharisee, this ruler of the Jews. He's a person with his own ideas about God. He comes to Jesus and goes, I, I know that this is who you are. Again, this is our culture. Our culture has ideas about God that have been given to them by the broader cultural story and narrative, and they think that they know God. This is Nicodemus. He thinks he knows God. He's coming to Jesus saying, I know this is who you are, but he's also a person seeking to be morally and ethically good. For him, that's, that's what it means to be religious. You, you, you are morally, ethically good. And this is, again, our culture. Our culture is seeking moral and ethical purity. They do it to different means than us, but it is simply the same. So here is this upright, moral, ethical, religious, elite person. In his culture, he's got everything that anyone would ever have. And he comes to Jesus. And the text tells us that he comes to him by night. Now, it doesn't tell us why he comes by night. A lot of people said, is that because he's scared and afraid of all of his religious mates? Uh, we, we don't know. But what we do know is that every time in the Gospel of John, when he writes his account, he's talking about nighttime. It's an allusion to darkness. You see it from the beginning of John 1 all the way through to the end. And so essentially what John is setting up here is, here is this morally ethical, religious, upright person who who has everything culture would say that we need, but there is something missing and he knows it. There is a spiritual darkness on his life, and so he is coming to Jesus and something is missing. Maybe some of you know what this feels like. You've had a really good career. You've done well in your studies. You've got the house. You've got the car. But there is a sense in which I don't have something. We saw this through COVID with so many people seeking Spiritual things and something is missing. And so, in one sense, what the author is trying to show us is that Nicodemus is living in a kingdom, but it's not a kingdom that has produced life or light. He is in a kingdom, he's under some type of rule, un- under some type of kingdom reign. And John 1 begins to point out that Jesus' kingdom has come to give us life and light. So, uh, John 1 4 5, it says, In him, speaking of Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. So, straight away in this story, there are these two kingdoms coming together. And Nicodemus encounters Jesus, and Jesus responds. Firstly, Jesus gives us the necessity of being born again. So, Jesus answers him. Truly, truly, okay? That's your parent, or Dave when he's emceeing, Kylam Lewis, okay? It's, it's when the parent says the full name. They don't use Lummy, they don't use Lum, okay? For those of you who don't know me, there's some of my nicknames, Lum's dumb, they don't use that. Um, it's Kylam Lewis, Listen up. I have something important. I'm getting serious. Jesus is saying something, and he says this multiple times. Nicodemus says, I see things how they are. I see the kingdom of God here. I see the miracles. I see the teaching. I I see that you've come from God. And Jesus says, you don't see a blessed thing, brother. You don't see anything because you see me as a teacher, which means you are not truly Seeing, you claim to see, you claim to understand, but you do not. So listen up, truly, truly. And then he will say in verse 3 and 5, unless, and then in verse 7, must. This is the necessity to be born again, to be made alive, to be regenerated. Unless one is born again, he cannot see nor enter the kingdom. You must be born again. Imagine a law was passed in in Australia whereby if anyone wanted to get into politics or government, you had to be born in Australia. And then a family come over from Brazil and the father of the family has been in politics over there for multiple years, he's done multiple terms, he's been looking after an entire state, uh, one of the 26 states of Brazil, and he's very experienced Very, very clever, very, very thoughtful, very, very helpful. And after coming to Australia, bringing their family to Australia, decides, I want to get back into politics. And so he comes and tries to get into politics, and people basically are asking, okay, what's your skill set? Okay, that's awesome. What's, What's your education level? Oh, that's awesome. Okay, where are you from? Where were you born? I was born in Brazil. Sorry, you don't get to come into Australian political context. You're out. You're not in. Yeah, but I'll, I'll learn the language. I'll, I'll, I'll learn the language. I'll, I'll, I'll change even our name, our family name, so that you know I'll, I'll become John, and my daughter can become Mary or whatever. And we'll do we'll do what's necessary to get in. And it's like, no, sorry, it's not how this works. You have to be born in Australia to hold that office. This is kind of what Jesus is saying, Nicodemus. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how much of your behaviour you change. It doesn't matter how much of the new language you learn. It doesn't matter how better, and how much better you can teach. You have to be born again. So Nicodemus, like most of us, would go, OK, well, how do I do that? That's a really, that's a really interesting idea. And so how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? He's saying, well, aren't I already alive? Is this kind of not like, when I have conversations, I don't normally have the reborn conversation with my non-Christian friends, but often stuff comes and they're kind of like, you're one of those reborns, are you? You know, it gets a little bit weird and awkward. And it's kind of like, aren't we all alive? I'm alive. You're alive. I think what the Christian worldview says is like, there seems to be degrees of life. Right, so everybody in this room, as a child, picked up a rock and threw it. Some of you into bad things, into windows. Uh, our, our parents never once, never once said to us, "Oi, don't throw the rock; you'll hurt the rock." No parent has ever said that. They say, "Don't throw the rock." Why? Because that rock's going to hurt something else. It's going to hurt someone. Nobody has ever cared about a rock. Nobody's cared about its feelings. Nobody's cared about like it's been out in the sun getting hot. Nobody cares about a rock. Why? Because it's not alive. It's a rock. (laughs) Now, some people like my daughter like to cut up rocks and look at different types of rocks, but nobody cares about the rock's feelings. A plant. How many people here have had a plant and you have killed it. Hands up. Yes. Okay, anybody here, keep your hands up. Anybody here killed a rock? No. So, so when someone gives you a plant for the birthday, for your house, you know, and you put it in there and then it dies, there's a feeling that goes, oh, I'm really bad at looking after plants. And then you just buy lots of them for some reason and keep killing them. When I whip a snip, I sometimes snip plants and not weeds. And my wife gets upset because she has told me the difference between the weed and the plant and I still don't know. Because it's green and it's looking a bit weird, so it needs to go. We can have emotional attachments to plants because there is something in a plant that lives and dies that is different to a rock. We also have animals. We are an animal-loving family. We love our animals. We're practically a farm, and I'm trying to stop it happening. Okay? We have lots of ducks. We have lots of chickens. We have lots of birds. We have a dog. If you'd like any of these, come and see me afterwards. I'd love to hand some over to you. Uh, we, we love animals, and in our family, when we lose an animal... Unlike with a plant where we go, oh, we often are moved to tears. We had to bury our dog about three, four years ago. I bawled my eyes out. My wife bawled her eyes out. My kids bawled their eyes out. We've never done that over a plant. My wife's close. And I remind her, it's just a plant. Why? Because there's a different degree of life from a rock to a plant, from a plant to, a, to an animal. And same with, with humans, right? There's a difference between even an animal, which we love and cherish and cry and mourn over. When we lose our father, when we lose our mum, when we lose a loved one, when we lose a child, we grieve in a different way. Why? Because there's a different degree of life. And so what the Bible says is even within the human construct, There's another degree of life. Ephesians 2 puts it this way. It says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in what you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So Ephesians wants to say, dead, dead, but made alive. So that says, even when we're dead in our trespasses, because I'm American, uh, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So so the the Bible kind of gives us all of these different pictures and metaphors about what it means to, to... to, to come into Christian faith. And there's the fact that we were, we were lost and now we're found. We were blind, but now we see. We we're deaf, but now we hear. And the Bible goes so far to say we were spiritually dead, but now made spiritually alive by God. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus gives a couple of metaphors here to try and help flesh this out. Essentially, he's saying, like breeds like. Okay, Dogs breed dogs. Kinds. Produce kinds. Cats produce, we're not sure. Evil, I think, is what they produce. Sorry, sorry, no more cat people here. I do love you all. Praise Jesus for them. They will be. I won't say where they will be. You go. Um, um, Humans, humans produce humans. Sure, when a few of my kids were born, I thought it was an alien. uh, And they came out, I was like... What is this? But eventually I was like, oh, okay. I think they're human. Um, But what the Bible says, the Bible goes beyond that and says, sinful humans produce sinful humans. And sin is death. Sin is darkness. And so as sinful human beings give birth to sinful human beings, all human beings need to be made spiritually alive. So Jesus is saying, you're a good moral man by cultural standards, Nicodemus. Uh, you're, You're an educated man. You're a wealthy man. You're a prestigious man. And these may help you in a physical kingdom, but they are nothing, no help at all to you in a spiritual kingdom. Flesh produces flesh. You need spirit to produce spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to come and make you alive. Don Carson says, In this light, Jesus is clearly saying, in effect, what we need is not new men and new women, not new institutions. What we need are new lives, not new laws. What we need are new creatures, not new creeds. What we need is new people, not mere displays of power. Nicodemus, what you need is what was promised in the book of Ezekiel 36 where Jesus was speaking, God was speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, who promised that there would be a day that would come where God would give his people new hearts. Ezekiel 36 says, A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will take out your, uh, your flesh, the heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my ordinance." Uh, We have mango trees at our home, and uh, to produce uh, produce mangoes on the trees, you've you've got to prune. So every like two years, you get a good crop, and so we prune back the trees. Sometimes we prune them too much. We're still kind of learning that, and after about two years, you start to get a whole lot of them. It's awesome. Now, if we wanted apples, it doesn't matter how much we prune our mango tree. We will never get apples from the mango tree. It doesn't matter what we do. It. it doesn't matter how much water we... doesn't matter how much we do around the soil. doesn't matter how much we care for the mango tree. We cannot get apples. Why? Because at its core, at its very root, at its very source, it's mango. To get an apple, we must have a seed which at its core is apple. And that needs to go into the ground. This is what he's saying. For you to have spiritual life, you need spiritual seed. To be born again, to be made new, to be regenerated, you need new seed planted into your heart that produces new fruit in your life. 1 Peter 1 says, Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. That is that the gospel, the truth about Jesus comes to you and it gets implanted into your heart and it makes you alive to him. All of a sudden, you start to see the king like you didn't before. And like our Brazilian friend coming to Australia, seeking to to hold an office, he can learn the language, he can learn the customs, he can do everything, but unless he has been born, he cannot enter. And I want to say to you, this is actually really good news. Because who's the example held up in this story? It's the most godly, holy person. That's probably in their context. Okay, this guy measures his steps on the Sabbath, before the iPhone and smartwatches, because he knows the law and the tradition that went around the law as to how many steps you can work before a uh, walk. Before now, you've moved into working. This man knows that if he hasn't said his blessing prayers the day before or three days before, he needs to walk back to the very place he had that meal and go and state the the blessing prayer again, and he would do that. Like This is a guy who's like living the quote-unquote Christian life. He's the one that we all look to and go, what a Christian. And Jesus goes, not even that person gets in, which means there's good news for me and you, because we're not really just elite people. We're broken, fractured people. And everyone is equal at the foot of the cross because everyone needs to be made alive by Jesus. This is good news for me because I know who I am and I know who I am not. I know what I do well and I know what I do not do well. And if if the way into the kingdom of God is through obedience, I'm in trouble. You're in trouble. It's also good news because it tells me that the Spirit does work in me and makes me new. Gives me new eyes to see, gives me new ears to hear, gives me new desires and motivations in my heart so that I would actually live differently. So so as I'm walking through the Christian life, and we're going to look at some of this more next week as we look at He Fills Us, there's a sense in which there is hope in the gospel because it's not me who has to modify my behavior in all of my own strength. That God the Holy Spirit is the one who's doing that work in me. So I have hope because I can't change me so good. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't, but in general, I'm working hard. But the Holy Spirit wants to come in, and look what he says. It it blows wherever it pleases. You know, we don't know where they are. Perhaps they're standing on some corner of Jerusalem, and the wind's blowing. He's like, Look at the trees, Nicodemus. Look at them. You you can see it's blowing, right? Look at at the dirt that's been. You know, Nicodemus isn't like, Well, you know, I know how that comes about because probably in the Mediterranean Sea, there's probably a low right now, and in the Arabian Sea, there's a bit of a high. And so he's like, Yeah, I get the point. The wind is blowing. We don't understand all the mechanics. We don't understand all the dynamics to it, but we see its effects. It blows wherever it wants. And this is what we see with regeneration. In some sense, it's mysterious. When does the Holy Spirit do this? How does the Holy Spirit do this? We don't know. If you've been a Christian for a while... There's probably not a moment that you point back to and go, I know the exact moment where I was made alive. Okay, Some of us maybe have a moment where there was some sort of spiritual awakening or something. But most of us are like, I, "I just at some point I was a Christian. Right? I mean, how many of us are here, remember the day we were created and made alive? Like, no one's. I remember. It's like, no, we don't. We don't know when that happened. We weren't involved in when that happened. That just happened. And similar with, so if you're sitting here going, I don't, know if, I don't know when, it's like, that's okay, you're not supposed to. It's not a science, it's not a mathematical uh, algorithm that we're supposed to work out. It's like, what, what we're saying is, but the Bible clearly teaches us that we love God because he first loved us. That the Spirit came and made us alive to him and opened up our eyes. And Nicodemus is sitting here and he thinks he can see, but he can't. We are first and foremost Christians, first and foremost followers of Jesus, first and foremost sons and daughters of Jesus the King because the King loved us and because His Spirit came and made us alive, regenerated us, renewed us. And now we see the King and His kingdom. Now we enter into a relationship with the King and the kingdom. This is what Jesus kind of does at the end here. He, He points back to Himself. Nicodemus said to him, how can this be? And Jesus answered, like, hang on, aren't you the teacher of the Lord? Don't you know your Old Testament? And you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly or spiritual things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. This is Jesus pointing to himself. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. So what he does is he goes, hey, religious elite guy, scholar, you who know the Bible really well, let me take you back to an Old Testament story of which you know well, but you don't know. There's a part of the story of the Old Testament where they've gone through the wilderness and there's been these... These moments where they just keep whinging, keep complaining, keep grumbling. God has been providing for them food. He's been providing for them water. He's been providing them with shoes that don't wear out. And, And so they get into this situation now where God's like, all right, I'm done. Snakes come in and snakes start biting the people of Israel and people start dying. And so they come back to Moses and go, we realize we were wrong. We've been grumbling, complaining. Please ask God to save us. And so God says, through Moses, or to Moses, Okay, what I want you to do is I want you to get a bronze snake. I want you to make it. I want you to hold it up on a big stick and tell the people that if they get bitten by a snake, which is poisonous and it's going to cause them to come to death, tell them to look at the tree. And as they look at the tree, they will experience life. Moses, I'm about to go to a tree. And I'm going to be raised up and I'm going to hang there. And in many ways, I'm going to be like that bronze snake. The one that brings death, I will take that. And as they look to me, I will give them life as I take their death. This is what Jesus has done. And Jesus says, look to me. Keep looking. At me, because by my death, they will have life. And so if you're here and you're like, I don't know whether I am or not, just keep looking at Jesus. Because that's how the Holy Spirit does it. And keep allowing yourself to be at church or in life group in places where you hear the gospel, the truth of God's word. And the Holy Spirit brings you to life. You can't make yourself believe he can't do that but he can and we'd love to pray with you if you're like i don't think I, I don't think i've experienced this we would love to pray with you and ask that god would do that and the awesome thing about this story is nicodemus cannot see and jesus is like you cannot see you cannot enter but if you go to the end of john who's involved in helping Ask for Jesus' body from the cross so that they can give him a burial. It's Nicodemus. Nicodemus in the beginning, it's telling us that he's in the night. He's got darkness. And at the end, he comes out and all like, I see him. I want him. I honor him. And I'll put my life on the line for him. If you read the story of Nicodemus, he comes alive to Jesus. And at the end he is so in love and so focused on Jesus that he will go anywhere and do anything for this Jesus. And it's a great story. And in many ways, if you're a Christian, this is your story. That God made you alive. That He gave you His Holy Spirit and has given you new desires in your heart to see the King as He really is. That Jesus is not just a good teacher. Jesus is not just a man. Jesus was the Son of God who died my death and rose again to new life. And that life has been applied to me by the Holy Spirit. If you believe that, that's because the Holy Spirit made you alive. Therefore, it's by grace alone that you are saved. You you can't give well I did a b c d and now I'm saved. No, the Bible is clear in Ephesians it's by grace that you have been saved. This is not a work that you did. This is a work of God. And praise God. Because I can't make myself be born. But my parents could. I can't make myself be born spiritually. But my dad can. My dad does through the work of the Holy Spirit. So as the band come up, I want you to think about how good news that is for you if you're a Christian, that you have the Holy Spirit who has made you alive. And next week, again, we're going to talk about the fact that He fills us. And this is more of the ongoing work of the Spirit in our lives. But even today, as we, we sing, we do communion, we pray, We do that because the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we believe in Jesus, that we follow Jesus, that we walk with Jesus, that we see Jesus, that we hear His words through the Bible, is because Jesus continues to make us and renew us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church, located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.